It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, the show that tries to answer the question, just what the heck is going on in the media, entertainment, and technology worlds? As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, known to most people as PC Nerd 37 and as always, I'm alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are awesome. I love this week so far. Having some nice weather down there in Texas? Yeah. We had uh, a mid-afternoon thunderstorm that rolled through. Uh, cooled everything off and just left as soon as it got here. So um, plants got watered and it wasn't as hot and it's not very humid. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, you're lucky. We were supposed to get rain all weekend and it was nothing but blue skies. I, I, I don't know. The people around the forecasters around here normally don't do a very good job, but they did an even worse job this weekend. But also via Skype, we have a very special guest this week. He is the creator and host of the Big App Show, the host of the Daily Source Code, and the host of the No Agenda Show. He is the Podfather Adam Curry. In the morning, Adam. Welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, in the morning to you. How you doing, uh, Jeremy Wesley? Good to good to be on the show. Yeah, it's great to finally get you on the show. I've been meaning to email you for many months to get you on the show, and it just kind of popped into my head the other day after I did the post about the Big App Show. Yeah, and I appreciate that. So, and of course, that's one of the reasons I'm on. I'm trying to promote this thing everywhere I can. It's like, and and it it just turns out that you know the best place to promote something for computers or phones is uh, on shows like this. So, uh, but besides that, I'm looking forward to going through the news and uh, talking to you guys about whatever's going on in the world. Yeah. So, how's the Big App Show going for you so far? It's going really well. Um, you know, I I see a a huge opportunity with this and uh this is kind of what i've always done uh whether it was uh, like podcasting about five years ago and uh i see a, a complete broadcast platform opportunity with uh with iphone apps and uh, i'm really trying to make something out of this the, the thing that i'm working on now in uh, and i've also uh, i've done all the coding of the app uh, or a lot of it with help from uh, a great framework uh, done by the folks at taplinks is getting iAds in. There was a re- actually there was a, a very exciting story that came out. I think uh, two days ago. Uh, you know these iAds are, are Apple's mobile uh, banner ads. Uh, the, the developer of some hokey flashlight app, which of course is the app that we <laughs> always laugh at, uh, apparently pulled in like fourteen hundred bucks in one day on iAd banners, and it's like you know so that's uh, sparked off a lot of. Uh, uh, enthusiasm, excitement, and of course debate uh, around uh, around mobile advertising. So uh, yeah, so that's you know I'm working on getting that integrated, and uh, you know can't wait to push out a new version and making episodes and having fun and uh, really enjoying building an audience there. It's a completely new audience for me, um, and uh, which seems to be predominantly or 65 percent at least women, which is great. Hmm. 
insert yeah, really. joke here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- <laughs> I think we actually, had the, I think what's going on with iPhones is there's a lot of young women out there, uh, perhaps a lot of the moms. I see a lot of that and just the feedback that I'm getting. And they love their iPhones. They love apps. They love utility-based apps, actually, you know, stuff that actually helps their lives. Um, and they don't really want to go through the rigmarole of, you know, reading reviews, which are all gamed anyway, and star ratings and searching through categories. And they kind of just enjoy someone saying, hey, check this out. And sometimes they like it and they get it. And otherwise, you know, that's two minutes of their day. They can live to the next day. Yeah. And the hair doesn't hurt either. See, I, you know, I'm now I'm almost 46 and I'm just not buying that anymore. I'm really not. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I just don't think it's that. I really don't. If I could control my hair like the way you do, I wouldn't have mine about a centimeter long. <laughs> oh, man, I tell you, it's a chore. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned iAds and how good they were doing. Does... Mobile advertising seems to be the next big thing. I mean, with AdSense, I haven't made a single penny off of AdSense all month out of all of my sites combined. Is that kind of where the advertising dollars are moving? You know, I really don't know. Um, and it's it's just as likely that uh, Apple uh, put out a, you know, hype this story to make everyone excited about it. I mean, you, you really just don't know. I mean, news reporting is so crappy these days. Um uh, when it comes to advertising in general, video on the web seems to get anywhere between uh, $5 and a $15 CPM, so that's per 1,000 people that see it. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm not a big fan, and, and that's uh, pre-roll advertising. I'm not a big fan of advertising at all, uh, as you know, with, uh, with the No Agenda Show at noagendashow.com. Uh, we shun advertising, have an entirely different model for for. Uh, having actually the audience support the show, so I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see uh, to see where it goes. I do think that when you're looking at a very small screen, and if you have a a closed ecosystem like Apple, and you have premium advertisers, and the ads aren't just shuttling you to a website, but actually have some kind of interactivity, I think there's something that could be interesting there. We'll see. I I just don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. I hate advertising. We don't have advertising on this show, but I, I've just gotten to the point where I'm so sick of advertising, especially on things like TV. That's why I, anymore, I pretty much pirate anything I want to watch because I don't want to waste 15 minutes of every hour watching ads about medicines and stuff that have no application to me at all. Well, there's pros and cons to that. Um, I'm, I'm, as, a, um, as someone who creates creative work, I like to get paid for it one way or the other. I like the you know value for value proposition, but the more we pirate and you know, same with jailbreaking phones. You know, people jailbreak the iPhone. You get Installius. You're able to download the apps for free. In fact, I think we have a story about the uh, about the legality of jailbreaking uh, apps mm-hmm. and copying them, uh, which we'll talk about. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're who are you really hurting? You know, you're going to hurt yourself because already music has become just crap you know we we essentially have uh, a situation where the music industry is in severe decline it's almost you know it, it's it, it it's really on the ropes and so it's always going to be something that you know Jay-Z does or Eminem that's the stuff that's going to be pushed pushed out and a lot of the 
you know, the maybe really good stuff or smaller stuff that you don't hear about, you may never hear about because it's just not within that system. And then we get some breakouts once in a while and, you know, it'll be great and interesting, but not necessarily will anyone be able to make any money off of it. In fact, uh, the hit of the day, uh, no one's making money off of it. There it is. I can't get this song out of my head. I love this. It's a double <laughs> you know, and uh, and so that's that's this to me is like the the hit of today, and no one's going to make money off of it, and and maybe with some advertising, but the more we steal, the more we uh, circumvent the advertising, the more we download stuff without paying for it. Eventually, the creative uh, uh, geniuses are are going to either go away or find something else to do, or uh, you know, it, it's, it's it's a conundrum. Well, it's just we just need something in the middle. I mean, we we do love advertising as long as it's good advertising. Well, you know, um, it, you know, ad- advertising like, has been a part of people's lives forever. Right. Um, like the just, the trailer kind of, for uh, Tron just came out, and I, I I can't stop watching that, and that's just advertising for the movie. Right, and you know, some ad- I think advertising when done well actually can be entertaining by itself as it should be, but right. we've gotten well, the signal to noise ratio is pretty bad. Right? Like the old Spice guy. I mean, that's that was genius. Well, interestingly enough, um, sales of Old Spice, as far as I understand it, are actually down. Yeah, that's what I heard and, too, but that's conflicting well, stories. But in the end of the day, is because it's a crap product. It stinks. Yeah. I don't want to wear Old Spice. It's lame. So, you know, you got to have a good product to start with. And, and then I think uh, the rest kind of, you can find your way. Yeah, the old spice thing just kind of reminds me of like my grandpa or something like that. That that's just kind of what the smell has always been to me, and I think that's kind of the case of with the younger generation is that's what we think of. So no one really cares to buy old spice, no matter how cool of a marketing campaign they may have. But my I I'm all for supporting the artists and stuff. It's just I hate buying music and stuff like that when. 99% of the money that I spend on it goes to the RIAA to turn around and try and sue people with. People that tend to be legitimate customers most of the time anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you. so yeah, then we can always do the digital equivalent of selling records out of the trunk of our car, and that's what people are doing, and, and that's working. So we're in, a, in an in-between phase, which you know may last 20 years. We're probably 10 years into it. It's another 10 years to go. And uh, you know we'll find we'll find ways. I mean, no agenda is is a great example. Um, you know, listeners support that show, and they do it in a variety of ways. And uh, it's getting you know to a point where it's exciting enough to for me to really stop a lot of other things and focus on it entirely. If I if I could, well, that and the big app show. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about No Agenda is that it is very different. It's very users supported and it's all about value for value and that's the one thing that I love most about it is I don't have to deal with the ads it's if I enjoy the show I can support the show whether it's talking about the show sending money whatever it it makes me feel like I'm really a lot more of a part of the show yeah, and uh, and we also have a model where and, you know there's no copyrights. You can do whatever you want. You can create your own uh, projects and brands around it. We'd love for you to 
take some of the proceeds and support us with it. Um, it's it's something that John and I have talked about for a long, long time. We're both marketers. We've been in media for a long time, um, and it's somewhere. It's a it's a mixture between PBS, uh, which of course now these days is completely commercial, but it used to be listener and or viewer supported. And uh, almost televangelism. And we're in a growth market. People are increasingly unhappy with the, the crap that is uh, being shown to them as news. And they're, ex- I think, extremely unhappy with uh, the lies that are being propagated by, uh, by the powers that be. And they like to get a little uh, awakening, a little shake uh, once in a while, uh, twice a week at least. Yeah, I've turned on, I don't know how many people to the show just because they're so sick of everything else. They've gotten to the point where they turn off Fox News and CNN and it. a lot of them just stopped caring about it completely and then I turned them on to the show and then they started caring about it again and realized that they were getting screwed every possible way they could. Yeah, so we're actually increasing viewership of C-SPAN, CNN, and Fox News and they should be paying us. Yeah, I'd, I'd be kind of interested <laughs> to see what kind of numbers C-SPAN has gotten since No Agenda's been around. No, nothing. We're the only <laughs> one. We're the only ones that watch that crap. No one else can. No one else can handle it. <laughs> In fact, yeah. uh, I try on occasion, but I just can't. You don't have to. C-SPAN. I got my jingles here. <laughs> well, on that note, might as well go ahead and jump right into the. the stories since we have a whole bunch of them starting with apparently the internet is running out of ip addresses and should be out of them within the next year that's a scary thought you know I've, this story crops up every couple of years and it's it's always the same format is we're running out of ip addresses we have to implement ipv6 and you know and so now they've uh, in fact this story that you sent me the link to is is cnn written by John D. Sutter, and uh, he's basically just um, copying uh, a story, I guess, that was originally posted by Read Write Web. And, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, yes, we're getting all kinds of new devices that are getting connected, and, you know, they even goes down into the level of uh, RFID and other uh, Internet of Things data (laughs) devices, I guess. Um, but, you know, there is a solution. It's IPv6, and it'll get implemented eventually, and it'll be painful, but we'll figure it out. I, I just don't see it as, as a huge problem. It's just, you know, the, the transition to IPv6, which I think almost every device now has the protocol built into it. It just has to happen, and that will be a monumental switch, and it will, um, it will have some growing pains. But, you know, this, to me, this is just like fear-mongering, even bringing in the... Uh, uh, Y2K. Ooh, it's like Y2K. Well, if it's really like Y2K, then it's bogus. Right. Um, I, 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 I agree with you that most of this is overhyped, especially because uh, the most the people who are going to be affected the most are the people who are uh, internet service providers and less end users. Um, if service providers implement IPv6, they can enca- encapsulate IPv4, and their users won't know the difference. Um, and this just means if we run out, it just means that we might have to bump somebody off before we get on the internet, and that's going to be the charge uh, of the the service provider. And I don't see it being that big of a deal. And 
uh, it might be just the motivation we need to to finally push this forward because we've been implementing IPv6 at least on the bridge level for years now. Um, it's just that people aren't aware of it down here because I mean we don't need to. We're not the infrastructure provider. Yeah, well, it, this is a story that seems to crop up every four or five months, but with the same kind of target date of like October or something like that of 2011 of when we're going to run out, but they really seem to have kind of ramped up the publicity here in the past couple of months saying, oh, it's going to create a black market for IP addresses and stuff. And the real thing that scares me is I've got all this legacy software that has, it's based around IPv4. It can't handle IPv6 and what am I going to do if, when I get moved over to IPv6? Is there going to be some way for me to maybe get an extra IPv4 address, or how is that going to work? Because that, that's what really scares me is what's going to break of mine when my ISP or whoever moves over to IPv6. Well, I mean, you still could get an IPv4 address and then it'd be encapsulated in IPv6. And so it'd be the transpose the transport from your modem to the internet would be IPv6, but from the modem to your house, it'd be IPv4. Um, so there's ways around it. I mean, it's it's just software, basically. And you can do anything you want with software. And uh, just like you can, if you had an emulator on your machine and it could talk to the, inter the internet, the, the router can do the same thing. I've, as I said, I don't think this is that big of a deal. Um and I could understand the how naive the writer is because the way he phrases IPv6 is saying that researchers are working on it. It's been a standard for for years now, so we're not. Oh, dude, it's on it. CN, it's CNN reporting. What do you expect? That's why it's just <laughs> oh, we're running. Oh, the internet is is deflating. Oh, we're running out. <laughs> oh, Vince Surf says it's a problem. He says it's dumb. It's just yeah. it's it's not real tech news reporting. Let's let the air out of this story. Well, on to the next story. Apparently, spam filtering has been patented, and 36 companies sued just because somebody has a, fil a patent on the basic concept of filtering for email. Yeah. yeah this, <laughs> this is interesting. So he, he the, the, if this patent company was smart, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't patent spam filtering. They should patent spam. And sue those people who send those out. I mean, I think they would make more money. <laughs> An email that contains no valuable message other than to get someone to buy penis-enhancing drugs. Yeah, that's a great patent. Yeah, yeah sue <laughs> those people. Yeah, that's a that's that's a good line actually. But it it does show just how lost the patenting system is in uh, in the United States. Certainly, uh, it just makes no sense. It really doesn't. I mean, you know, filtering has been around for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, will this, I mean, have the, uh, these, these lawsuits, have they already gone to court? Have they been successful? I, I think the lawsuits have just been filed. This is something brand new. They haven't gone to court or anything yet. It's just been filed. Right. Well, welcome to America. What's anything, awesome, what's, what's interesting is that they decided to file these lawsuits against all of these companies simultaneously. I have... Uh, a lot of doubt that they're able to defend all these cases at the same time. I mean, what what kind of backing do they have in order to do this? 
Well, it's one of these uh, portfolio companies, as far as I can tell, and they, you know, they uh, they either buy or write or acquire a whole bunch of patents, and they go, and they go out and they sue people for it. And we saw this with Rim; that was very successful. Right. Um, we've uh, there's one with podcasting actually. Yes. Uh, some jabroni yeah. uh, who I actually met long, long time ago. Uh, was awarded uh, awarded a patent, and uh, you know, will he ever find the backing to go out and sue everybody? Yeah, but he might, but you know, who really, you know, what kind of money is there to go after? It's it's just a game. It's just a yeah. very sad, sad game. Yeah, sue Facebook. They have messaging in there. That's spam. Yeah, I, I I've just always been amazed that these companies they have no customers, no competitors, no products. All they do is have patents, I guess in this one particular case, this Innova company has this single patent and that's it. Why would you have a patent like this, sit on it for years, and then say, oh, hey, you're big now, we're going to sue you. We have no products to show that we're ever going to use this patent, but we want money out of you. And right. and the patent system is horribly broken in this country. Yeah. Yeah, you can look at my trash can for prior art. I mean, that's how I follow a spam. So I have filtering that exists. And so I, I, moving a manual process to a machine process, um, th- that's something that you can patent. But uh, that's if you're adding something to it. But this is not adding anything to anything. It's just describing what people already do. Well, in, in this patent. case, I, I believe that uh, what they're claiming is they have a way of... Um, understanding the context of the message and therefore determining if it is spam. So it's probably not the actual filtering process itself, but some of the contextual uh, process that is used. You know what? If they really have that, then right. let everyone license it and we'll never get spam again. Great. Let me see that. Exactly. That, yeah, I'd yeah. love that. I'd love it, but I don't think it's true. Yeah, I'd like to see that, but at the same time, I think pretty much any first-year computer science student could probably come up with the same thing. Well, I'm waiting for it. I still get spam. Yeah. yeah. I, I still get spam, but I'd say 99.9% of it goes straight into the spam filter. So I never see it. I just empty my spam filter about once a month, and that's just kind of how I deal with it. But, yeah, I, th- this is one of those bogus kind of things. I'm, I, hopefully something, hopefully this will patent will just get thrown out completely. Yeah, also don't you need source code to determine the way they're implementing it? Not the fact that they are implementing a spam filter, but the fact of how they're doing it. Because the, that's the, the part that's patentable. If they do it exactly the same way that's defined in the patent. Uh, and it has to be uh, has to be verbose enough to understand if you're violating it. And I think that is where the problem is going to lie, is that you can't, on the face of it, tell whether or not these companies are infringing on this patent unless they see the source code. And understanding um, what the challenge procedure they're, they're using to determine what's spam and what's not. Yeah, it's one of those things where all these companies are have far more complex systems for dealing with spam. I mean, this, the way this is, is written, it seems to be very simple, but all these companies have spent years and years dealing with spam. They have these hugely complex 
spam filters. So to say that they still apply to this, that something this simple applies to today's spam filters seems to be a little crazy. And meanwhile, the real travesty is you have companies like um, Strongmail who actually have a, a form of a cartel set up where you pay them an unbelievable amount of money to be whitelisted with the large uh, email providers such as MSN and Hotmail and Yahoo. Um, and, uh, you know, there's this sub-ecosystem. Uh, sub if you want to send out legitimate email to users, we actually had this uh, issue with Mevio. Um, if you send out a whole bunch of the same uh, emails, and a lot of them go to you know legitimate users who have requested uh, this type you know information, but it's uh, duplicate messages essentially. Uh, you have to employ or uh, engage a company like Strongmail and pay them a lot of money uh, just to be whitelisted, which of course is bogus. Well, that's one of the things I've kind of wanted to do for a long time is I wanted to start an email newsletter, but when I get hundreds or thousands of people signed up to, for it, I don't want to have to worry about being flagged as spam because that somebody accidentally flagged me as spam or because I'm sending out thousands of identical messages to legitimate people. I, I've just, as much as I wanted to do that, it's just never, I've always thought it's been too big of a hassle and I certainly don't want to pay these companies to whitelist me. Well, then you get companies like MailChimp, who actually uh, have a pretty decent service. We use it for no agenda. Um, but you will pay for it. You, you absolutely yep. have to pay money for it, and they guarantee delivery. Um, and, they're, uh, and they're very stringent about the way they, uh, about the way they handle their email. And uh, I think we actually talked about this on the last show. If you unsubscribe from the list, it's very hard to get back on. I'll have to check out MailChimp. I've never heard of that one. Yeah, MailChimp. Oh, yeah, they're very good. Yeah. 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 Excellent service. We have Unless you want to go to like a, an MO or a constant contact, they're, they're one of the best things around. Hmm. I'll definitely write them down real quick, make sure I can check them out later. Because that might be just quite, might be exactly what I'm looking for. Let me just take a look at what I have in my spam right now. In my Gmail. Let's see. It should be fun. <laughs> have the cash instead of something you don't use okay bb dating services to find big beautiful singles is your name on the list don't you pay to pay too much for car insurance pills for super erection hey that's not spam <laughs> whoa 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 i just want regular erection <laughs> <laughs> the magic blue pill absolutely free free psychic reading and closed eh, google does a pretty good job of filtering it out yeah, I very rarely have any issues with Google. I've been having some issues getting with getting some spam in Hotmail lately, but Google always seems to do a real good job of it. They seem to have the best spam filters of anybody that I've seen. No, because they're actually reading your email, and they actually do have context about what you like or not. That's why. True. Although, speaking of which, I'm just now looking at their Google ads at the top of my spam filter. Spam vegetable strudel. Oof. Bake nice. 20 minutes until golden. Serve with soy sauce. <laughs> it's a recipe. I don't know. I That does not sound like a very good recipe to me. Yeah, I threw up in my mouth a little bit with that. Yeah, I don't know. I've never had spam, but I've never had any desire to have spam. Rather less have it with vegetables and a strudel concoction. But anyway... 
Next story, Apple loses big in a DRM ruling as now in a in an overview or a, in a review of the DMCA, the Library of Congress has decided that jailbreaking is fair use. I never thought I would see this day. Yeah, you know, I have not I have not read the the actual uh, legal brief. I, I think the headline jailbreaking is fair use may be a little bit of a red herring mm-hmm. um, because I guess it falls they have a, the story which is from Ars Technica who do pretty good reporting um, it has a number of points actually I guess there's six where DRM circumvention is allowed and uh, the first one is essentially fair use like the stuff we would do on uh, no agenda where you can pull clips from something. Uh, it's a small slice of fair use. Yeah. Um, because, because they still don't have copying for your own use. Like if you had a DVD carousel or a hard drive you wanted to use as a DVD server and you just copy all the ISOs to it, that is still illegal. So where is the part that... So this is... What I understood from this story is it's not jailbreaking, but it's copying apps that you've purchased uh, and um, disabling the DRM to, to copy them and store them somewhere else. Is that is that correct? So there's several parts of it. Uh, the first one is about using basically DVD content, small snippets for educational use if you're a student, if you're doing this not-for-profit. The second one, second part of that, um, it's expounding that a little bit more. Uh, number two is, uh, which really makes me mad, is that these are so specific. It says, computer programs that enable a wireless telephone handset to execute software applications where circumvention is uh, accomplished for the sole purpose of enable, enabling interoperability. So that's enabling an application that would work on your si- system but has been dis- but Software on the system prevents it from working. But this is on a telephone that, uh, that has to be wireless, which is so specific. Um, which means but, that but, but, could- what, but what is the joy here? What, what are we so happy about? That we, that, that, uh, that we can steal apps? Is that, is that what we're all happy about? Um, I think they're happy about this. Say jailbreaking is allowed, which, uh, which is cracking the firmware. Um, but where, but so, where do you, where do, where do we derive that from? From this brief that jailbreaking is allowed uh, because software uh, interoperability. For instance, let's say if you wanted Skype to work over three G, this says that well, I want to the the Skype that I have on my Windows mobile phone works over three G, and I want to be able to call over three G to my Skype on my iPhone. The only way to do that is the jailbreak. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, and essentially they're saying that jailbreaking isn't a copyright issue. It may there's a chance that it could fall under other things, but a copyright issue it isn't because I think they said that um, to jailbreak it, you're using less than 50 bytes of code out of 8 million bytes on the iPhone to be able to jailbreak it and do whatever you want as far as the actual. Apple's actual code. So you're using one 160,000th of a copyrighted work as a whole, so that falls under fair use. 
Right. Which also kind of sounds like if you bought an iPhone and you wiped it out and put Android on it, that that still might be illegal. Yeah. I, oh, I don't. I don't see how that can be legal. I. I just don't see that. I mean, I'm. I'm. I'm against all that. That's just hooey. Yeah. I'm. That's totally. That's why I'm biased. Because also, they're saying with a, a phone that's on a cellular network, which means that this could still apply, or they still might be restricted on something like an iPod, or even an iPad. I'll tell you one thing though. Apple will never stop the jailbreaking and because they have no incentive to. It's a great yeah. testing ground. They love and they, they, they watch everything. They love the fact that people are creating things that their phone can't do. I mean, why did, why did I jailbreak my first iPhone or my second iPhone? So I could get backgrounding enabled. So you know, right. they see this on the radar screen. Hey, people like backgrounding. How are they doing it? Okay, we want to do it, but you know, we have to do it a different way because of battery life, etc., and uh, I think they, they, well, they don't encourage it, but they're not going to discourage jailbreaking. They want, they want people to create new um, uses for their product. Right. Just, you know, the, the experience they want to deliver for the typical a- Apple customer has to have some parameters that make it work for what their brand stands for. But I don't think they're against jailbreaking. They're not going yeah. to come after people. Where's that, where's that over-the-air update, by the way, that was going to disable all jailbreaks? I haven't seen that come through yet either, that big rumor. Yeah, they have to puff up their chest a little bit for AT&T and the other carriers that are concerned about this. Um, and I just think this is their way of saving face, saying, well, we'll try, we tried, uh, but the courts let it through. Possibly. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of the way Sony's always been with the PSP. In the early days of the PSP, they didn't care too too horribly much about homebrew. They might do a little bit here and there to try and disable it, but at the same time, a lot of the, the what ended up becoming built-in apps or whatever you want to call them for the PSP, like the internet radio, was originally a homebrew app that they saw that was the single most popular um, piece of homebrew on the PSP, so they ended up bringing it into their system until somewhere along the way, somebody realized that when you run custom firmware or whatever, you can start running ISOs. That's to where people were just downloading ISOs of games off uh, the Pirate Bay or whatever and start playing games with it. That's where it seems like Sony went from, okay, we're not necessarily going to encourage it, we're not going to say too much against it, to, okay, every time a new exploit's found, we're going to release a new firmware two days later. But at the same time, they never do anything since they rush these fixes out so quickly. They're they're always broken within 24 hours. So it's like, okay, are you serious about that the homebrew scene can't continue? Or do you want to see it continue so you can get some ideas for some future functionality of the device? Yeah, Sony's a bad example. They don't know how to run a business, but... Um, I digress. <laughs> yeah, Sony just kind of irritates me. But then again, that's just because I seem to get repeatedly screwed by them. I'm, right. And they I, screw each other. Like, content from one division is not available on the other division. Uh, hardware that's made in one division doesn't work with hardware from another division. They, they, they don't know what's going on. I'm still waiting for them to let me have Linux back on my PS3. That, that's all I care about. I just want Linux back on my PS3. 
But yeah, with this, with the number of changes that they made to the DMCA, it seems like one of the biggest ones is that until now, for um, copying little chunks of like DVDs and stuff, that was always restricted to like colleges, professors, um, stuff like that. Now it's kind of available to everybody as long as you're essentially whether you're like making a documentary or just something non-commercial. It seems to be that's definitely a, a big leap for a lot of people that want to put up just little tiny clips of like a movie or something on YouTube. Yeah, but keep in mind what is commercial, some people don't understand the definition of that. If you put it on your website and you have Google Ads, that's commercial. Um, if you're making a penny from it, it's commercial. So uh, be be forewarned and be aware of exactly how you use this content if you do choose to uh, to, to to put this on your site or to to use it in any other way. Anyway, so you, you can't make money off of it if it's commercial. Yeah, and the one that I think is actually most interesting is number six at the bottom. It's for ebooks. For you know how Amazon. They kind of bowed down to whatever the publishers are. The guild. Yeah, the the Writers Guild or whatever that essentially said, hey, the ability of the Kindle to read back our books is going to take away from our audiobook sales. Well, this is essentially saying that if there's no other way to get an audio version of an e-book, then you're allowed to break the DRM so that you can listen to it, listen to the book, especially... Like if you're, um, if you're blind, blind. Or something like that. Now you can legally break the DRM on your ebook so that you can listen to it if you want. Well, good. Yeah, but, yeah, good for them. <laughs> ah, groovy. That's great. Yeah. If you're blind, I, li- I, li- I like my, I like my ebooks. I like my iBooks. I love them. I love buying them. I want to. I mean- want people to write more. That's great. But if you hand your ebook over to a sighted person and they break it for you, are they breaking the law? Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. As a Kindle owner, this is some just something that really interests me. I, I'm kind of curious to see how this kind of affects the whole relationship between Amazon and publishers, and if this is going to change anything in terms of what publishers allow to Amazon to use its text-to-speech feature. Knowing Amazon, they'll just release maybe a eight hundred dollar version that has speech for everything, and then that null and voids this portion of the DMCA because now there is a way to get it on voice, and they kick the extra royalty back to the publishers. I think you should have to pay a royalty if someone has an ebook and reads it to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's breaking DRM. Nah, you can't read it out loud. Yeah, Not to more than one person. Fee. Yes. Ah, that's right. <laughs> Performance yeah. fee. I forgot. Yeah, there's an app for that. Yeah, I'm kind of waiting for just like all the local restaurants around here to have the RIAA come in and because they've got a radio on in the background, jump all over them for performance fees. One that's those... because we've been stealing music. They're, 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 now they got to go find ways to, to make that money. It's a huge industry. It's, uh, the industry is, uh, there's only two ways to go. Either we pay for everything somehow and it gets added on to your electricity bill, or uh, the industry goes away. And I think the industry's going away. So it'll get reinvented in 10 years, some way. But it's made, it just may not be a big money maker. I think the music business has been around since the first man banged a stick on, uh, on a wooden trunk. Yeah, 
I think it was going to morph from, wow, look at this rock star, to, hey, honey, you got to go in the office and make music. Got to do some, you know, I, it's my job now. I make music. And it's just another job, just like anyone Or maybe else. just make music just to please people. Maybe it won't be a job. Oh, you're talking Star Trek now. Let's stop that. <laughs> well, speaking of vocal things, apparently AT&T is going to soon be encrypting their mobile voice conversations in hopes of getting some more business from the U.S. government. Seems <laughs> like they probably already have all the business from the government, I would think. Yeah, this is... Uh, well, first of all, the only reason to do that is so that it's easier to, to eavesdrop because everyone else will get it. Um, this is this is just a compliance thing. It's just compliance so that they can continue to get them to get uh, the government contracts. I, I don't see it any other way. I don't. I, I think it's like uh, whatever. What right. is, of course, interesting is um, actually the uh, the next story, which right. is that uh, AT and T is the fourth biggest contributor to many of the uh, sponsors of. Uh, of some uh, bills that could directly benefit AT&T. And it's like, oh, well, okay, big surprise. Yeah. Uh, corporations and the government are in cahoots, really, now. <laughs> yeah, this story dovetails nicely, um, these two together, um, because we already have an encrypted solution for voice calls, and we're on it right now. It's called Skype. Um, but... Um, if you all remember, I think it was last year when AT&T handed over uh, their IP list to the government uh, when they requested it, but Google and several other ISPs resisted it, but AT&T gave no friction whatsoever. I think that's just a testament of the kind of relationship between AT&T and our government. And uh, they have some sort of secret agreement that we don't know about, and that's why I feel that these senators are probably backing them is because they back each other. I don't even know if it's that secret. I think everybody knows, uh, yeah. you know, the, with the uh, the wiretapping, which continues, by the way, uh, the well, program enhanced under President Obama. Right. Uh, it's great. Well, it's as it's, it's as secret as uh, um, uh, as Israel has nukes. This is just that secret. People well, if know. you uh, if you want to keep something secret, then go meet in the park and uh, cover your uh, your mouth so that no one can lip read and pass the information on that way. There's just no way. There's no secrets. There's no information yeah. you don't have. Just uh, information you don't have yet. That's correct. Yeah, AT&T just seems to be another arm of the government. And, I, and there was another story that I even, I, I think I even wrote about on Global Geek News this afternoon that Google's is now created a version of Google Apps for government. They're getting even farther in with the government because now the, the government's going to be able to enjoy the wonders of cloud computing thanks to Google Apps and all of the increased security and stuff that they provide. And not for a second, don't I think that now that the government has their own version of Google Apps that they that didn't do some kind of deal with Google to have a backdoor into the normal version of Google Apps so they can right. see all the homework that I'm working on. Well, well China the, says uh, China's got to be happy about that because they already hacked into Google. <laughs> the uh, Google has uh, two offices in uh, Virginia. And they've been creating uh, search devices for the government for quite a while. The the Google search boxes, uh, which are then placed on uh, 
the government network so they can uh, index PDFs and PowerPoints and all this other fine documentation. Um, and it's, you know, there's, it's uh, no secret that Google has announced that they have a partnership with the NSA. So, you know, if you, again, if you want to keep something secret, don't put it on a, on a network. It's that simple. Yeah, I've got to start. I've got to stop using computers, I think. And, well, no great conspiracy here. And by the way, what do you have to hide? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. But, well, I don't know. I got a couple of servers around here with rather large amounts of pirated material. So. Well, the, then you yeah. got something to hide. You're bad. You should be arrested. <laughs> yeah, should be. Hasn't happened yet. Hopefully, it won't happen anytime soon. But yeah, I, I was kind of. I wasn't too surprised by this story. This. Apparently, this is the bill against the FCC and its net neutrality ideas. And apparently, AT&T is in the pocket of basically every supporting senator. Which, I, I was kind of surprised just how big of a contributor they are to various political campaigns. I, I, I assume they did some, but I didn't think it would be quite this much that they would be like the top contributors to all these different senators. Well, it's not like BP didn't contribute the most money to Barack Obama. True. I mean, come on, let's be real. This is this is nothing new. This is how it works. The business of yep. America is business. This is this is how Bill, you know, AT and T probably helped write the bill or whatever whatever they paid for. This is this is nothing. This is what No Agenda Show is about. I thought we were doing tech news. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of sad. The only way to be fair is to take money from everybody. <laughs> If you're a politician. Okay, well, back on the tech news trail. Uh, speaking of the FCC, apparently they've decided to change the definition of broadband to 4 megabits per second down and 1 megabit per second up compared to the old definition of 200 kilobits per second each direction. Seems to be quite the big leap. Yeah, well, it's all pathetic. When you when you look at other countries and what kind of uh, bandwidth they actually have, uh, and it's I don't know, it's just a a branding exercise. I'm not quite sure exactly why they've changed this or what the point is. I, I actually, it probably has to do with the several hundred million dollars that are part of the stimulus package that are supposed to go into broadband. Uh, projects and that will be awarded. So I'm sorry, black helicopter. Hold on, let it pass over. Um, so the, it's probably just for uh, for these projects, so that there's some kind of definition, you know, improved definition to probably cut out people who are doing smaller projects. Who knows? But right. it's uh, but broadband, really. I mean, you know, it's like what is broad? What is big? It's a yeah. it's very fuzzy. And so this means that they can change it again whenever they want. Is is that the deal? Like if they want to change the definition, they just go ahead and change it. Yeah, pretty much. This is basically their thing to decide. It doesn't really matter what the rest of the world says. Well, I, I kind of t- every time I hear from the FCC, I am sad that they may not. It may not stand. Uh, it's I'm sad because um, the FCC will come up with a rule and someone won't like it in the government or the public, and it gets changed. They are uh, a straw man. They're, they're put out there for um, for people to beat up and pull down really easily. And so um, so they might be saying four megabits, one megabits, but if they went more aggressive, 
to something that we all could live with, with, with maybe, you know, eight up, 20 down. Um, I think that people, people would be up in arms and they would force them to change it. So I think they're just trying to find the middle ground. Uh, they're, they're, they're dealing with multiple masters. There's, there's, there's no real power in the FCC. So th- this this has in part to do with the national broadband plan. They needed to set a benchmark uh, because of the plan, which recommends as a national uh, broadband availability target that every household in America have access to affordable broadband service, offering actual download speeds, and that's where they come up with the four megabits, and then the upload speed of one megabit. Um, so it here we go comports directly with section 706 definition of advanced telecommunications capability is just cover your ass right and right. Uh, and make sure that all the projects are of a certain certain ilk so in a, in a way i guess it's good that they're determining something around the concept of broadband since it's going since we're all going since our taxes are paying for it to be everywhere they might as well say well this is what it's going to be at least so yeah, maybe that's not such better. a bad thing it's better. Yeah. It's better, but it's not ideal. Yeah, I, I think this is probably just all about money. Where it's at the same time making most people think, "Oh, this is, seems to be a pretty good idea." Going from 200 kilobits a second up to four megabytes down—that seems to be a little bit more modern. Or at the same time, there's millions of people on 1.5 megabit per second DSL. Now they no longer technically have broadband, so. Now the oh, FCC good can, point. Can good say, point. Oh, hey, we need millions of more, tens, hundreds of millions more dollars to get these people broadband because now, since they only have 1.5 megabit connections, they don't have broadband anymore. They're just as slow as dial-up people. Well, that's actually a very good point. This may be an anti-competitive measure to uh, to cut out uh, DSL providers. Maybe uh, you, know, you never know what what's behind all of this. But that, but that's a good point because there is a right. lot of DSL being sold as broadband, and it doesn't quite make the cut. Or there's broadband light or whatever whatever it is. And uh, that's good. That's a good point. That that there may be something to that. Uh, and in fact, that would be predominantly AT&T. <laughs> yep. So, who knows? You never know what's going on in the background. Right. But AT&T still owns most of the backhaul, which means they will still be making money as people have to grow to, to meet this demand. So I don't they, feel they, bad for AT&T no matter what. Yeah. So, since they run the backhaul, they're, they're going to see increased traffic, which means more money for them. Uh, but I'm hoping it'll help a lot of hotels out there because they say it's broadband and that stuff is slow. So hopefully that'll increase uh, hotel speeds too. Yeah, I'm kind of getting sick of going to little roach motels saying they have broadband and it's like 1.5 megabit connection for the entire hotel. Yeah. But I, I hate staying in hotels anymore just because they're horrible internet. Well, a lot of hotels don't say broadband. They say high speed. So technically they won't be breaking the law just yet. Yeah, that'll come. But a uh, little bit of a change onto Netflix. Apparently, investors weren't quite so happy with their earnings over the past quarter, quarter despite the fact that sales are up 27% because they didn't make an extra $6 million that they thought they should. The, t- the stock dropped over 9%. Seems to be a bit high for only $6 million when you're growing at that kind of a rate well here's the uh, i did not look at their financials but here's the inherent problem with companies like netflix and uh, pandora and hulu 
at the end of the day, these companies are reselling licensed work, mm-hmm. and the only added value they provide is maintaining a new customer base or uh, in this case, uh, uh, a lot of online. And of course, they have an interesting distribution model with uh, um, with their postal service. But if they start, to, this this is a bad investment, no matter what. You should never invest in these types of companies because the minute they start to do well, then the license holders will just ratchet up the license fees. You just cannot win. Hulu will never be a great company. Will never be big. Pandora, um, I think they're probably going to sell. The company to um, maybe a Google or a Yahoo, and people who invested for that reason will probably make out very well. But right. from an actual making money perspective, it's no way. It just it just doesn't make any sense because there's not enough added value for just reselling content. Yeah, they'll need to either purchase a studio, which I don't think they they don't have the cash to do. Or start producing their own independent content. Like if you, even if you look at Audible, they produce some of their own audiobooks, and uh, they're able to mitigate some of that um, that pressure from outside sources and to write their own story. Yeah, but um, but Audible is really they invented an, an industry. Uh, books on tape was not new, but they really created something new. It's not like there were tons of digital audiobooks out there. And you're right; they do produce a lot. I think that I think that's different than just redistributing songs or movies uh, in in a new fashion. I, I just well, don't see the value. As an investor, I wouldn't see the value in that. It's a combination, and I believe if Netflix, like if you look at the Sci-Fi Channel, if you look at TNT, if you look at uh, 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 USA, they have started instead of uh, repurposing other people's content to produce their own shows that have garnered a lot of attention and if netflix did the same thing uh maybe even uh maybe partnered with like amivio or something like that in which they license the content in perpetuity or for some reason that they, they would be able to 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 be able to mitigate some of the pressures from the from the people who license uh, who they license their content from and be able a little bit more control over uh the content that they do offer you know, we uh, it, it doesn't work. We we license content at Mevio, and um, at the end of the day, when it comes to flat blanket license, as in we can do whatever we want with it, and we pay you a flat fee, no revenue share, which also, I mean, it's just it it turns out to be not a lot of money, and a lot of work going goes into look look at the difference between a podcast and an episode of CSI with all mm-hmm. respect you know right. an episode yeah, yeah. of CSI could cost a million dollars to produce so you know i just don't see the money flowing that way i, I really don't I, I i don't see a huge a huge value add yeah i'm kind of curious to see what's just going to what's going to happen to the whole market once blockbuster goes away cuz i'm sure blockbuster will be gone within the next year. So I'm kind of curious to see how that affects Netflix and their distribution well, deals and their position in the market as a whole. Yeah, well, Redbox said they're going to start getting into the streaming market too. So that's a very strong competitor to Netflix. So I think uh, 
most of the void is going to be taken up by Redbox that that uh, Blockbuster is going to leave. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that aren't much about money making, <laughs> apparently Microsoft ended up having to write off $240 million for the Kin, which sold less than 10,000 units. They should be fined an additional $240 million for bringing that thing into the marketplace. Whoever, they, someone should get fired. Yeah, oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah, I'm sure somebody got fired over that or forced out or something like that. But yeah, I'm amazed that they even let this thing get to market. I, I I haven't seen one in person. I've seen a, a number of time on videos and stuff, but this isn't a device that I would want to carry around, the Kin 1 or the Kin 2. They're just ugly devices, and then on top of that, paying $70 a month for a smartphone plan when it doesn't even have a lot of the features of a normal smartphone. It, it, it was just a failure from the start. Hmm. Or maybe they're softening up the market uh, to lower expectations <laughs> from when Windows 7 comes out, Windows Phone 7. They're like, look at the crap we did. Now, your expectations are lowered. Now see what we have. And then people would be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I, from what I've seen, there's a lot of people that are really liking the Windows Phone 7 so far from the dev units and stuff that have gone out. And I'm, I'm still waiting to hear if I'm going to get one. I'm hopeful. I've got my request in for one, but I haven't heard anything. But from what I'm hearing, a lot of people saying how wonderful it is. Although I did see a post this afternoon, and I tweeted it, uh, about how a lot of businesses aren't going to be ready for the device, how it's not going to work with their existing systems because of a lot of restrictions on the device, such as there's you aren't going to be able to run any kind of um, database software on there like a SQL light or anything like that, which a lot of companies depend on. They want everything to be all in the cloud. Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I, I don't know what's going to be great about it. Yeah, I, I, I've seen it, not necessarily in person. I mean, technically from across the room at the Mix conference, but... Yeah, it it seems like a really nice interface. I'm a big fan of like the because it's got the Zoom style interface. I think it's known as Metro, which I'm a big fan of. Mm. Anyway, as I love my Zoom, it, I prefer it to my iPod at least in terms of um, video and audio playback. Not much in the way of apps, but I I think that it's since it's got a lot of the Zoom capabilities built in, it, it seems to be starting out pretty strong, but at the same time it's like, okay, this is just kind of a couple of years too late, just about. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of curious well, to see what happens with it. Well, the thing is, it can't be better. It's, it's going to be better. But it can't just be better. It has to have an anchored feature that people can say, I get it because of this one thing. And it has to have the killer app. If you look at Android, it's the integration with Google that people are drawn to it, it, with Apple is the ease of use and the, uh, the the build quality. With Microsoft, you can't just say it looks pretty. You, you have to hang your hat on something, and if you can't identify that, then you can't tell your story. And if you can't tell your story, no one's going to buy your product. And let's not overlook industrial design and how how it feels, how the the form, right. the function. I mean, this is this is what. And by the way, I think Apple may be losing it a little bit. I I do not like the form function of the iPhone four. 
I think they departed from a great design. Uh, and I'm not talking about the antenna crap, just the way it feels, the way you hold it, the way uh, mm-hmm. just a whole bunch of things are different. And, and th- those are nuances that Apple has always been great at. And uh, it's very, very difficult. The industrial design is an incredibly difficult thing. You know, why does someone buy, uh, if you've got the money, why do you buy a, a Mercedes over a BMW? You know, why do you buy uh, a Ford over a Chrysler or, uh, or you know, um, a Cadillac? It's, right. it, is, it, it matters. It really, really matters. And this is what I think Apple has done so great. And when it comes to consumer products, if I'm considering or i suppose that a handheld device is mainly the success will come from consumers using it and not just businesses um you know then it's then you've got a lot a lot of work to do you know the blackberry which was and still is i would say predominantly a business device wow the first blackberry what an amazing industrial design it had forget about the fact that it did email incredibly well it really did one thing well which was email mm-hmm. you know the the first with the first blackberries you, you could roll a truck over it it was great you, know, you could drop it you could use it as a hockey puck remember that first plastic thing it was fantastic yeah, blue plastic yeah yeah it had, a, it the, had a great keyboard that you could use two thumbs with i mean that was really a spectacular device so it's still at the end of the day is um a, a, a lot about design, I think, and not just what it does. Uh, the right. flip phone from Motorola—it was just—it was a pretty stupid phone. People loved that thing; they loved it. The, and the ra- the razor or whatever, you know. It's, uh, I think that's not to be overlooked, and uh, I do not believe Microsoft knows how to uh, pull that off. And it has nothing yeah. to. I mean, does and I'm sure that. An infrastructure can be built around apps, and you can build an app store, and there can be mm-hmm. great apps. But if it doesn't feel right, doesn't look right, you ain't going to get laid with one. Right. And, of course, the thing you point out is the thing that they have absolutely no control over, and that is the industrial design. Because they have to rely on their partners to make these phones, and the only thing they can control is the software. And even that's loosely controlled because of the carrier. So um, who knows? Unless they go Google uh, and do a la Nexus One and make their own phone in conjunction with uh, others releasing uh, their phones. I don't see how, and, le- and like you brought up, the BlackBerry has an extremely good feature when it came out, which is email. And so far, I haven't heard one feature that is the killer feature for Windows Phone 7. I- I'm not going to say they are going to fail. I'm not going to say that, that uh, it's going to be overly successful. I'm not saying either way. I'm just saying... Um, if you look at the Kin, it's the story you're bringing up. Their advertising sucked. I had no idea what that phone was for, and 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 they had no features that made them stand apart. And I think that is, I mean, I've, I know haven't met anyone who's used the phone, but first thing they're going to use with the phone is try to figure out how to use it. They're not going to say, "Well, I heard it does this awesome thing," and then go to that feature. Can't do that. So that, that's the fact that it's already being marketed as the Windows 7 phone is a mistake. Right. You know, Windows. There are no windows. <laughs> well, by itself, Windows has a, a negative connotation. You know, and, and I think that's what they tried with the Kin, but huh? Kin? Yeah. Which, by the way, is, is German and or Dutch for chin. It's weird. Yeah. I'm sure it means something else in some Asian language, but it's, just, it's hard this, to, to yeah. market. This type of product is really, really hard. You know, what did we really have before 
the iPhone, um, the Walkman. What 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 was in between? What other great portable consumer device was there that had a brand name that everyone needed one? It was the Walkman, and the name said it. It was something new. You know, maybe Microsoft should. I think there's still a lot of room to make a great tablet, um, and and they have to change their thinking. They should look at the iPad and say, okay, how can we do this better? I think there's a lot of room there. Yeah. Well, hopefully, the, all the money they spent, hopefully, it wasn't for naught. Hopefully, they walked away with some valuable lessons and won't screw up the next launch of their next product. Yeah, I, I've never been a big fan of the whole Windows Phone Seven name either. Every time I've talk to either somebody in Microsoft marketing or on the Windows Phone team or whatever. It's like, oh, Windows 7 was such a big leap. We want to take the whole idea of Windows 7 and apply it to the phone, and people think that it's head and shoulders above Windows Mobile. That That's always been their thinking from what they've told me, and I don't think that's going to be near enough. And yeah. as far as killer features goes, the only thing that I've seen as far as a really killer feature, I mean, there's some really nice stuff with it. I've seen with, like, the calendars and and the way they do notifications and stuff is really nice. But it seems like the main feature that they're probably going to be selling it on is Xbox Live compatibility. The fact that you can earn your gamer score or whatever the um, points are for playing games. The fact that well, you can get Xbox Live Arcade games, if they've been made to do so, that'll play on the Xbox, the PC, and the phone. I think that's probably going to be the biggest thing that they have as far as saying, hey, check out our phones, it's a cool device. They should call it the X-Phone and be done with it. Um, and they should market it that way. If, if, they're, if they're hanging their hat on gaming, then I haven't seen any demos of gaming on the phone. And they, they should be they should be pushing that out from day one. Yeah, if you go back and watch, um, I don't remember if it was day one or day two of the Mix keynote, they were showing a game, and I can't recall the name of the game. That was a proof of concept, though, right? That was not a production game or something that's going to be released or something that's going to be bundled with the phone, right? Um, they, I don't think they said anything about bundles or anything. It, it, was, it was largely a proof of concept, but at the same time, it was still very polished, so I would expect to see it on the phone in the marketplace around the time that it ships. Yeah. But they were, but they were sh- showing the game played on all three platforms, the PC, the Xbox, and the phone. And it, I don't know, it seems like they're dropping the ball a little bit because... The Xbox feature is one of the biggest features of the phone, as well as like the Zoom features and stuff like that. And that's not what anybody's talking about. They seem to be talking about all kinds of other things, yet these are the major features of the phone, and nobody's talking about them. And they're not doing anything to really get the word out, and I think that's just kind of shooting themselves in the foot to an extent. When is this thing supposed to drop? When is it supposed to come out? Uh, I believe the first devices and- are supposed to be out in around October. End of October, yeah, that was what was leaked. Uh, beginning of November, um, but that's only a few months away. I mean, they only went gold, but this they they their PR department, whoever handles that, they are doing a horrible job. Horrible job. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of their marketing or department or PR department or whatever. And there's some things that they do a great job at and. Others, it's like, why do you even have a job? 
Yeah. So since we're talking about dropping the ball, uh, let's move on to the next story about Microsoft dropping the bomber. Hmm. Yeah, this is... I, I've never been a big fan of Steve Ballmer to begin with, so the idea of seeing him go or being pushed out is an idea that I like, but at the same time, I don't know who would replace him. Unless, of course, you get Bill Gates back, but I don't think that'll ever happen. Well, this is presuming that a company needs some kind of iconic figure, and I don't think... I think it, with Apple, yes. Uh, with Microsoft, no. I don't think so. I think... Uh, I think anyone, any accountant could uh, could run that. Uh, it certainly wouldn't do much developers, worse. Developers, 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 developers. Yes. That was great. He is good for a laugh every once in a while, but he's still a little nuts. That was awesome. Yeah, he had the right idea then. Yeah, I, they, I, I'm a big fan of their direction as far as going more towards the developers than anybody else. That seems to be a pretty good strategy from what I've seen. Well, I agree. They don't need they don't need a front man to to be out there, but they do need uh, a thought leader. They need someone who has some some sort of uh, inspiration and can inspire inspire the people that work for him and can come up with some unique ideas, a, a visionary. Um, but they don't need to be a visionary outwardly facing, but facing. But they need to be. You know a what? Balmer is Balmer is the Obama of Microsoft. You know, he get, gets out there, rallies the troops, and uh, then everyone goes back to their same old business. And these people don't believe it themselves. There's yeah. You know, look, billion-dollar companies don't go out of business overnight, but they do sure. go out of business. It can right. happen. Well, they don't need to be rallied. They need to be inspired. Um, they they need to right be able- by the product, perhaps not by somebody, but by what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right, but that's what the CEO does. Really, yeah, it, it seems to be that the main issue that everybody has is that. With as long as Balmer's been at the helm, the stock has done absolutely nothing. Maybe dropped a little bit, but it's basically flatlined the whole time. And all the executives are saying, "Hey, we need to," or at least some of them are saying, "Hey, we need to get somebody in here, somebody that's going to light a fire under the company, somebody that has some vision, and at the same time has enough of a um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for?" enough of a brand behind them that they can be the face of the company and inspire people as far as the actual consumer goes to say, hey, this is no longer the old, tired Microsoft that we've known for the past few years. It's something a little bit more young and hip and something that we more consider buying our products from, kind of the way Apple is. Uh, gee, that, that that's a really tough one. You know, Microsoft, they've got a huge install base, and uh, they are like the water company. They, they just they can't be exciting. They just have to deliver <laughs> the next version of the pipes, and just, it's just it can't be an exciting. It's just a commodity, and you know they're in the commodity business, and they can spin some stuff off. And I think you know they they did that with their consumer products division, which seems to be okay, but it's hard. You know, it's tough making. Uh, consoles, gaming consoles, very competitive business. You can make large bets and lose. Uh, 
uh, I don't. What do people want? They, they want a huge uh, uptick in the Microsoft stock. You know, that's it's. You just don't get that with uh, with commodity type businesses. It should be kind of a long term. You know, you you get your dividends. Uh, they should be making profit, which uh, I think they actually did okay in a recent report because of the cycle and there were lots of upgrades to uh, to the latest operating system. Um, you know, and in fact, I think having an iconic guy. Leading that is is a detriment, you know, because there's a lot of expectation. Forget about it, and and the, fo- the phone business won't make a dent for them. It won't. It's just they're just they're just waterworks, Elect- uh, electrical company, soybeans, whatever. It's uh, I just don't see it how it can be an exciting business. I think they're largely a kind of a victim of their own success. I think the real issue is that they have such a huge install base they make up what like 90 95 percent of the pc market and they've just gotten to be so big in the consumer world as well as the business world that they have to keep supporting all of this legacy stuff that they can't come out and say hey here's something new and wonderful because it breaks everything that everybody's been running for the past 10 20 years or whatever i know there's still some businesses that I've heard of around here around town that are still running software in DOS because that's what works and it does and they don't want to have to mess with trying to do the same thing on a new system. And I think that's kind of Microsoft's biggest problem is they're it's like they want to move ahead in one direction so they can keep pace with somebody like with a company like Apple, but at the same time they've got all this these customers a lot of businesses and stuff they're saying hey you can't do that we have tons of software that only works on these older systems for a particular architecture and whatever and that's why there's still so many there's like still what 70% of businesses that are still on Windows XP or whatever I, I think that's probably their biggest problem and I think they need to have somebody in there that'll that's willing to say okay maybe we'll support that in a limited fashion but we want to move on Our the regular consumer wants us to move on so we'll support that to an extent but we're going to go in a completely different direction in the way we think things should be going no, it's, I, I disagree the, they just need to make better windows better business products they just shouldn't be doing anything exciting they should just be rolling along making shoring up the stuff that doesn't work and let's face it there's a lot that's broken and uh, and and just support you know big businesses the way they've always done. I think that if anything, they should stop trying to be exciting. Just be boring. Be really boring. Get a really boring guy and make your stuff really. You know why can't they be? Why can't they have the reputation that Unix has or Linux? They should have that reputation. They should be really happy to have that. That's what they should be doing. They're too big to be a, an exciting. You know, new type product company. Do you do you think that okay. so, so? Apple sells three million iPhones. Do you think if Windows sold three million Windows Seven phones, that would make a big dent in their business? No way. So I I don't understand the whole idea of having to be sexy. I just yeah. don't. For them, I don't understand it. it. It goes back to the previous story we had about Netflix and how they didn't meet uh, their growth target according to analysts, not according to their own internal metrics. So uh, in a way, I, I see what you're saying. That uh, on their internal metrics, they should be totally doing fine, but it's shareholders and analysts that expect them to grow. And the way that you grow is, I guess, is to move into where you're not, and that's in the cool realm. 
in which I think that's where the pressure is pushing them. So here's here's what they did. June 30th, 2009, they had $3 billion of net income. September 30th, 2009, $3.5 billion. Then they had uh, the big uh, December 31st, 2009 quarter, which of course is uh-huh. because of upgrades. Uh, that may have been, I don't know what that was, but $6.6 billion. And now they're down back to $4 billion for the most recent reporting of the March, the quarter ending March 31st. Uh, that seems to be where they're going to be at. You know, that's, that's their that's install base, and they're rolling along, and they'll have these peaks whenever they have an upgrade, and they just need, you know, the, the, what hurt them was the was Vista. Mm-hmm. That That's what hurt them. And so they've got to do better. Windows 7, people are excited again, so they'll get all the, the corporate upgrades and, uh, and just be boring. Fire Balmer and get an right. even boringer guy. <laughs> so get an accountant I, I, in there. Just a boring accountant. Who cares? Get Ben Stein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well the only at least there was a little bit of somewhat exciting news coming out of microsoft last week or at least for the employees and that they're all getting windows phone 7 devices just so they they can hopefully turn around and make apps for them so it, it sounds to me like microsoft is worried that there's not going to be any apps available when the phone launches because nobody's really making apps for them because between this they're giving away a whole bunch they're giving away what is it 90,000 phones to employees and then they're also giving away money and certain revenue well, that's, ten, that's 10 times the kin right there they'll be able to report yeah. that <laughs> 10 times more devices in the marketplace than the kin we're doing good yeah i think i saw a post the other day i think it was speculation i don't know if it was ever confirmed that at&t supposedly ordered 8 million windows phone 7 phones so hmm. it, it seems like they're Trying, they're definitely pushing this one a little bit harder than ten thousand kin devices. But well, of course, no one will spend time making apps. They'll all spend time figuring out how to put the guts of an iPhone into this wonky iPhone Seven or Windows Phone Seven, just so they can put it in the case and still use their iPhone. Right. Well, the the thing about having so many people in your organization using your product is that you'll get tons of feedback. And so I think this would be a real test to see if they can not only talk, but can listen. If they can hear their employees say what they want, what they need, and what they must do to make it better, then I think that they will have a good product. Are there um, any pictures but, of this thing? Do we know what it looks like yet? Is there, is, is there... The only of the OS, but there has been no hardware that has been leaked about what it's supposed to look like from a hardware. What, is this, what does Gizmodo have here? Is this a... Uh... They have a lot of prototypes, but they but right. Microsoft had said that those the prototypes that are currently out there, the ones that actually go for retail, are not going to look like those. So we'll we'll have to see. I don't know. But if are they going to make are they going to make them themselves? Or are they going to OEM no. the Windows OEM. Seven? Oh, so it's, well, it's going to be just like Android. It's, it's yeah. It's not going to be the HTCs, the Samsungs. Uh, the Dells, the Dell, Dells coming out with a Windows Phone Seven, so uh, it's it's going to be. As I said, they're not going to have any control except for a limited control over the OS. Which tell is- you one thing, they they better have their antenna stuff locked down <laughs> because the first thing everyone's going to do is going to put a death <laughs> grip s- on that sucker and see if they. Oh look, they have the same problem Apple has. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> My, uh, Microsoft would be so lucky to be on Apple's website. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I think I even saw something uh, tweet come across my stream earlier. I think it was like from the consumerist or somebody retweeted the consumerist saying that apparently the Droid X has the same grip of death issue that the iPhone 4 has, supposedly. And I, I even, just screwing around with a uh, phone the other day, it was some model Mo- Motorola flip phone for that has like the direct connect for Nextel and everything. I was able to hold it in such a manner that it would take the bars right down. So I think that's going to be the big problem. It's like, okay, who's going to be able to come out with a first phone that doesn't have the grip of death issue? I, I think that's kind of like the holy grail that everybody's kind of going to be running after right now. Well, you know, it's it, it's not going to be just the phone manufacturer. I, I did look into this a little bit, although it never came up in any conversation. Um, the the real problem is the protocol between because no one has talked about the networks the measurement of cell phone signal strength is a protocol that is operated between the handset maker and the the, uh, the maker of the software and of the, the radio uh, as well as the uh, the network and their cell towers and this has been known for many many years no secret about this that there's no real standardized way to provide signal strength uh, because it's not just your current connection to the to the cell tower because there's so many around you. There's an approximation made of what your signal strength will be in that area based upon switching. So it's, you know, this, this is not just making a, a better handset with a better antenna. There's a lot that goes into it. And by the way, RF is hard stuff. It's hard business. It's very, mm-hmm. very difficult. It's not trivial. Yeah, AD stuff is where all the problems are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've always kind of wanted to play a little bit more with radio-type stuff, but I've never really had too much of an opportunity. But, I don't know, I'm going to be getting myself a new Android device and replacing my BlackBerry here probably next week. So maybe I'll get to see if it, I can do the grip of death with it. But anyway, I guess that would be all of the stories that we have for today. I didn't miss anything, did I? Nope, that's it. Okay. Well, for those that are still listening on No Agenda Stream, thank you for joining us. The show will be up tomorrow, Tuesday morning, as always, at globalgeeknews.com, which is where you can find all of the links to all the stories that we talked about this evening, or at least most of them. Um, And I want to thank Adam for coming on the show and letting us stream live on No Agenda Stream. This This is pretty cool. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure, and uh, I'll just get my plugs in here at the end. Uh, (laughs) Twice a week, you can listen to uh, No Agenda. Go to noagendashow.com, Thursday morning and Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, Gitmo Nation West time. That's specific, uh, is when we uh, stream the show live. In the morning! And then, of course, there's the Big App Show. If you don't know what it's about, go to BigAppShow.com. You can see uh, uh, a web demo of what the app does. If you have an iPhone uh, or an iPod Touch, just go to uh, the App Store and search for Big App Show or Adam Curry. Yeah, i got to say I'm I'm a big fan of the Big App Show because otherwise I can never find apps. The App Store never really changes their recommendations a a lot of the times. Everything that it says is... All this is top-selling stuff right now. That never really... That'll maybe change once every few weeks or something like that, because once it's up there, it tends to stay up there. And with the big app show, I've been able to find all kinds of 
actually useful apps. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad, and then it's working. The system is working. It it was never meant to be more than a radio show for apps. That was the entire setup. It's hard to find music. You need to let. D- we used to have DJs before uh, Clear Channel took over and basically ruined everything and made all playlists with inserted breaks from you know monkeys, uh, which is another problem with the music business. Oh, and by the way, I'd like to mention that uh, no, for those who have not heard No Agenda, I do the program uh, with a great tech journalist. John C. Dvorak, uh, we're, uh, we're an interesting uh, coupling. Uh, we don't talk about tech at all or rarely, um, but for those who have uh, followed Dvorak over the years, you'll probably get a kick out of No Agenda. Yeah, it, it is my absolute favorite podcast, has been for a couple of years now. I highly recommend everybody check that one out. But yeah, as far as the apps go, you're doing a great job with the episodes. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying the new hosts as well that you've gotten to come on to talk about games and stuff. They're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, thanks. It's it's actually it's um it's challenging, you know, because I brought in a I did a whole bunch of auditions. I brought some people in, and immediately, you know, the audience turns on me. It's like, oh, we don't want these other people. We want you. So, you know, like, okay, I'll just bring them in slowly. And uh, you know, the, the problem is, is, you know, I know about apps, but I don't know about every app. I, I can't know about. I just I'm not a gamer, so um, it, it's very interesting. At the end of the day, uh, picking the apps is still very much like picking hit records, and and I really see the difference. You know, so I'm like, oh, okay, well that that app just didn't work. No one liked it. Uh, the apps that people really like, the ones they really really dig, are the 90 apps in one. That's that's always a, a huge hit with the audience. They love it. Especially if it's $0.99 cents and I'm getting a, a, a 90 app value. <laughs> yeah, I haven't really checked those apps out too much. It's like the Concert Vault and the Five O Radio that are the ones that I'm really yeah, liking. Good. Yeah, have you tried TuneIn Radio? Haven't tried that one yet. Oh, that's an amazing... I mean, I'm, I'm a radio geek, so... Uh, if you uh, if you like radio and you like listening to radio from all around the world. But, I mean, they, the whole thing... I mean, streaming is... You know, putting an app together that receives streams is one thing, but they really maintain a great database of um, of uh, uh, of streams, and it's, it's it's a great app. If I'll give you the top ten, if you're interested, sure. top ten apps by uh, that have come to the Big App Show. Uh, brand new at number ten, MapQuest for mobile, which I actually just did that one today. That is. Uh, GPS turn-by-turn navigation from MapQuest with voice, free, free app. Then there's Nimble Strong, which is uh, bartender and training. It's a game that is incredibly well done, and you learn how to mix drinks at the same time. Then uh, Wolfgang's Concert Vault, which, by the way, turns out the app is free, but you do have to pay for the service after a month. Uh, I didn't know that, which is a little disappointing. Uh, Then Gas Cubby. Uh, which is an app that helps you maintain the actual cost of your car, um, and this is people love apps like this where you enter in, you know, not just how much you put in your tank and the cost, but right down to the maintenance records, and that's it, it, pretty good. Then Pandora, uh, which is another free app, which of course streams uh, radio-like stations that you have put together. Another big hit, always a big hit, is. Doing stuff with pictures, the look-alike app, which uh, you take a picture of yourself and then it goes and finds out what celebrities you look like. That's a big hit. Then Hello Vino, 
uh, wine recommendation app. Uh, I think one of the best apps out there. I actually use this one myself a lot. It's great. Helps you pair wine with food. Then um, I swap faces. That's another one of those funny ones. You've probably seen Fat Booth or the Aging Booth. So you take a picture of two people and then you can swap your faces around and uh, with hilarious results. Um, Auto Park is the number two app of, uh, of the past week. It's a, a GPS-based device where you park your car, you uh, tap the app, it then uh, marks the spot where you parked your car, but it does a lot more. It has a whole interface if you're in a parking garage for the level, but also if you have to feed the meter, it has push notifications when it's time to go put more money. And actually, I discovered something funny the other day. Um, if you're late and, um, and, you feed, and you come back to feed the meter late, it actually says, hey, did you get a ticket or did you not get a ticket? And it keeps a running tally <laughs> of how many tickets you received. <laughs> and then, Do you have uh, badges? Yeah. And then number one is uh, is the TuneIn Radio app, which uh, gives me hope that there is still some uh, some life left in radio in general, even though we are using uh, a new type of radio, which is basically this thing in your pocket, um, which is uh, what we're doing right now. You know, there's there may even be people listening to this very program at noagendastream.com and listening to it on an iPhone app, uh, completely mobile. It seems to work pretty well these days. So radio is transforming. I'm real happy about that because Maybe we can bring back some of the art of radio and it not just be playlisted uh, music uh, segmented by category. You know, there's something to be said for um, serendipity. Well, oh, you know, oh, all of a sudden there's a country song. I happen to like it. Never thought I'd hear it. And that's what I love so much about the daily source code is that around here everything has gone clear channels to where it's all playlists, mostly commercials. Occasionally you'll get. Uh, somebody in there mentioning something. I guess they're calling themselves DJs these days. Um, but there's, it's always the exact same stuff, especially mostly the current hits and everything. Whereas with something like the Daily Source Code, it's stuff from many years ago to current stuff. And yep. it, that's one of the things that I really like about it is I never know what's coming up next. Well, make sure you listen Friday. I'll be doing another FUBAR Friday three-hour extravaganza, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't done a show for two weeks because of just workload and traveling, and uh, I think I'm just as ready to do a show as I think uh, the Daily Source Code audience is to receive a show. Yeah, I'm definitely ready. That, that's how I spend my Friday nights, for those that <laughs> don't know this. Is oh, man. A lot of times I don't get to listen to the show when it's live on the stream because I'm at work. But as soon as I get home, I just bring it up, download it on my um, Zoom software, and then just spend my Friday evenings listening to that and playing video games. Okay. Get laid much? <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I really do. Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming on but really appreciate it love to have you back again sometime that's oh, my pleasure and uh yeah we'll definitely we can do this uh again in the future i look forward to it and uh hope the audience enjoyed it yeah thanks to everybody that was listening to on no agenda stream and i guess we'll pretty much call that a show don't forget to check out the show and all the show notes at globalgeeknews.com where you'll and find out on twitter oh yes twitter forgot to plug the twitters you are Wesley83 on Twitter. I am PCNerd37 on Twitter, as well as at Global Geek News on Twitter. Adam is Adam Curry on Twitter. And do you have any other Twitter accounts? 
Nope, that's the only one you need. Hmm, okay. I'll make sure to follow all of us to find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And we will see you guys next week. Later. Later. <laughs>